Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebijamra, and I'm your host. Welcome, uh, and I am so glad you're here. We are a podcast that loves to talk about hope. We believe that hope changes everything. We interview people who talk about hope and people who love hope. That's why we're called the Hope Podcast. Today, I'm interviewing an old friend of mine, and uh, I can't wait for you to meet her. I think you might be familiar with her name. She's written a few books lately. Uh, Jen Pollock Michelle uh, is somebody that I met over 10 years ago. We'll get to that. Maybe I think you probably know the exact date, Jen, but I was relatively new in Chicago, went to her church and decided to go on a mission trip. And uh, she and her husband were our mission trip leaders. So we spent a good 10 days, seven to 10 days together in Benin, Africa, had the time of our life and um, got to know each other very well, as you can imagine, sharing one bathroom between the group and I was mentally visualizing that place recently and thought, wow, we have been to the end of the world and back. But uh, anyway, Jen has written three books, uh, Teach Us to Want, 2015, uh, came out then and was um, called Christianity Today's Book of the Year. Uh, 2017, she wrote Keeping Place and 2019, just now came out Surprised by Paradox, uh, which I'm halfway through and have thoroughly loved. And... Um, and I can't wait for you to hear more about who she is and what has motivated her to write and how she's come up with her uh, topics to write on. And uh, as if uh, coming up with three books isn't hard enough, just to give you an idea of Jen's life, she is an American living in Toronto with a husband and, uh, get this, five kids. And they're not all teenagers quite yet, right? You've got some school-age kids. Uh, and, three um, teenagers, she- yeah. Three teenagers is good enough for me. Three who I've met, I've never met her younger too, but they, uh, she is a busy woman. I will say that. Uh, they are in Toronto for the long haul, as far as I understand it. And we're going to hear more about it now. Anyway, she's brilliant. My goal today is to get into your brain, Jen, a little bit more and try to get a big vision of our big God, because really that's what reading your books has done for me. So welcome. Mm, thank you so much, Lena. It's so fun to be it able to It is fun to do this. It right? is so fun. <laughs> I never thought we'd be doing this. I um, I remember <laughs> sitting in your house, <laughs> right? I mean, it's crazy. Oh I just goodness. remember coming back from Africa and just walking through some conversations and about life and calling. And I don't know that I ever knew that you had a desire to write, first of all. I just, I think you were so focused on loving the people in your life well. I just remember you ministering to me that it wasn't until later that I realized I never really knew what you had what your goals, I guess I thought you were a hospitable mom who opened her home to people Mm. and just loved on. So it's been fun to see your process. So uh, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. I am doing so well. Minus the fact that I have to drop off my firstborn to college this weekend. Well, that's, that's pretty exciting, but I, I, I want to, a lot of people might've read your books or heard your name. I want to kind of like get to know to Jen Michelle that, um, you know, maybe a lot of the people who read books want to know. And so sort of backtrack, you talk a lot about your life in your books in a very, like you intersperse stories and, and you tell about your background, but maybe we can do what I always do on the podcast, which is try to get a flavor for people's beginnings. Uh, how did you come to know the Lord? Tell us a bit about your early years. Yeah, I came to know Jesus. Oh, I mean, it's a kind of a tricky question, right? I grew up in a Christian family. I was taken to church three times a week. I vacation Bible school. I feel like I knew a lot about the Lord until I was 16 when I actually 
um, came to encounter Jesus for myself and know him personally in a relationship with him. And it's just one of those sort of cliche sort of teenage stories. I met Jesus when I went to summer camp with my youth group. And at the Hmm. time I wasn't at all walking. I mean, like I said, I, I would have said that I was a Christian probably in the sense that I believed in Jesus, but I was sleeping with my boyfriend and partying with my friends and really kind of thought, you know, when I'm 30, I'll come back to maybe actually living like a Christian. And Jesus just had other plans for me. And I can remember, I mean, it was um, just, yeah, a day in camp. It wasn't a sermon. It wasn't even a talk. It wasn't anything except an encounter with Jesus where I felt that he mm-hmm. said to me, what do you want? Where are you headed? And will you follow me? And I just kind of knew like, yeah, this is, you're absolutely all that I want. And I do want to follow you. And I can only say that that was just a movement of grace in my life, you know, because I didn't go to summer camp thinking I was going to come home, you know, and have to tell. was Was it your choice to go? Or was it like one of those things, your mom's like, you're going to camp? You know, it, it. okay, this is actually a crazy story. It was my non-Christian friend's choice for me to go. This is, and <laughs> let me give a little context. I was working a dry cleaner actually at the time with like three Ugh. or four of my friends from high school. And I just happened to mention to them that my youth group was going to summer camp. And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. I probably would never be able to get off work. And they were like, oh my gosh, we're going to cover your shifts. You're going. My non-Christian friends sent me to church camp with my youth group, and that's where I met Jesus. Okay, that's pretty cool. That is a cool (laughs) bent to the story. And so your life trajectory changed at that point. In what ways? Well, first of all, I had to come home and tell my boyfriend that I wasn't going to be sleeping with him anymore, um, and that I was following Jesus. And the crazy thing is, is he actually was from a Christian family too. And we'd, we'd sort of spent that first year of our relationship kind of talking about, are we Christians? Are we not? Are we, are we not? And, you know, mm-hmm. I came back like, I am, I'm following Jesus. Our whole relationship will have to change or else, and you'll have to follow Jesus too, or we're not going to stay together. The very next day, he actually left on a missions trip with his church youth group, which was kind of crazy. So wow. we did actually, we did date another year um, and then broke up when he, he left for college. He was a year older than me. But, you know, my friendships changed, you know, again, like I was partying with my friends and coming home and saying, no, I don't want to go to that party. No, I'm not drinking anymore. Anymore. You know, it was it was kind of a lonely year. Did you have to quit the, did you have to quit the dry cleaners job? I with stuck your- with the dry cleaners. Um, <laughs> it's funny. You know, but it's it is kind of funny. Like it, it's hard. Like there is an it's it's an incredibly alienating kind of I mean, as as much as you feel like you're in you belong, you know, to yeah. to God. And to his family, I had the wonderful friends from my youth group. I, I felt equally estranged from my entire life, you know, mm-hmm. besides my family. Um, but God was good. And in a in a year's time, like my last year of high school, I ended up with some really wonderful Christian friends, many of whom are actually in the ministry now. So I feel like God just wow. had his hand on our group in high school. Yeah. You ended up going to Christian college. I went to a Christian college. I went to Wheaton College. Um, kind of thought, you know, maybe I'll do, maybe I'll be a missionary. You know, um, I mean, I went to study to be a teacher, but I certainly had an openness to however God was going to send me. 
um, or wherever he might send me or how he might use me. And then I met this long haired, um, bearded 21 year old, Ryan Michelle. I know Ryan, he's like the most conservative, clean cut person you'll ever meet. <laughs> exactly. Like long hair and what? This isn't, this does yeah, not. Yeah. I'm like, I, you're talking, were you married for right now? <laughs> like, like, I can't even reconcile that picture, but he, um, you, you started dating, huh? <laughs> like, we did. We started dating and he was studying math and business and didn't really think that he was going into full-time ministry, although he loved Jesus. And I just eventually, you know, kind of came to realize, like, I don't know what God has for me in terms of my own ministry desires, but I really think that God's calling me to this man. And that is definitely not a decision I've ever regretted. You know, I really, um, mm, 23 years later, he's such a good man. And I knew at 21, just like I know today at 45, he really is a man to be, not just to be loved and respected, but admired. I continue to admire my yeah. husband in so many ways. So yeah, went to Wheaton and shall I go on from there? How much so, you well, you, well, you had the three kids and that's when we met. And so they were sort of in the younger ages. I think Camille was a toddler, right? If I yeah. recall correctly. I mean, so yeah. they were relatively young. And so now your family unit was done, like in a sense, were you starting to feel the strain at the time? Like, okay, I need to get doing something or what was your ambition at that time before number four, number five came? Yeah. Well, I, I actually went, was back at Wheaton. I was in a professor's office, a professor for the biblical exegesis program. Cause I was doing so much lay ministry at the time. I was leading a lot of stuff in my church. I was doing a lot of evangelistic kind of Bible studies in my neighborhood. And I just knew, I mean, ministry is just always you just been did kind of- it's clubs and such like you would just host stuff in your neighborhood. Oh yeah. I had this, I had a Bible study that grew into like two groups and we had babysitting. I mean, it was a whole operation that involved oh. spreadsheets and curriculum that I was writing and um, just really felt like, you know, I want to know, I want to be better equipped. Um, I'm going to go back for a ministry degree. I had a, my site set on a program at Wheaton and um, mm. a month later went to Disney World with my family and kind of was like, oh, I must be allergic to Disney World. I feel so gross by the end of the week. And then of course, you know, a week or a month later, I don't remember the timeline exactly, found out I was pregnant. And then a month after that, found out I was pregnant with twins. And so- oh. Now, you know, it's, which is which normally people would say like this is amazing, but like it was talk about that a little bit. It was sort of a so change hard. of plans for you here. It yeah. really was. You know, I kind of felt I felt like it was a foreclosure, truthfully, on um, kind of ministry dreams, desires. It certainly was a foreclosure on that graduate degree. Um, yeah. And I struggled with that. You know, I struggle. I mean, I think and it's good for us to just to admit that, you know, that while we know God is good and sovereign and that he's wisely guiding our lives. Like sometimes like things happen, circumstances change, and you think, I don't see the goodness of this. I don't see the wisdom of this, you know? And that- Well, and I think it's, I think it's honest because people usually, uh, it will describe pain when they can't have kids, which I can mm. understand. But it's rare that you hear this honesty of, geez, a four and five? Like I thought our family unit was done and it's like the energy that it takes to now start again. And yet, of course, you've, I mean, obviously I've seen- you on Facebook and, and, and these boys are adorable. I mean, like it's a oh things change, but like it's an, it's a new reality and how yeah. you adjust your mindset to God's page. How yeah. did you learn to do that? You know, I think it is, it's what we all do where we read the scriptures and we say, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, I believe that you're good and that you're wise and that, 
everything you do is to be trusted and that your invitation is always to abundant life. You know, um, this is your nature, God. I feel like I and, read somewhere, I don't know which of your books, but there was a season in your life, maybe not then, but at some point where you like, you were sort of in limbo, like you hadn't talked to God for a while and you were just sort of going along. And then like one day you started up again, like, I mean, I'm probably misquoting you a million ways though wrong, but, but like you, you have a numbness sometimes. I, I connected with that thought because I thought, you know, you have this, like, you're a very disciplined regimented person, which I, I connected with, like, I sort of tend to be that way. But there are times, even when you read the Bible, like, you're just not mentally there. Yeah. And I don't know what changes. And then you're there again. What happens yeah. in those moments? You know, it really speaks to kind of how important habits are, like the habit of reading scripture, like not to go, don't go to scripture just because you feel like it, you know, like having the yeah. habit of reading scripture has been the most, that, that's that been the bedrock of my spiritual life for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and that started when I was 16. So that when I, when life, ebb, like when my moods ebb and flow in the sense of like, sometimes I feel that God's really good and sometimes I really don't. And sometimes I feel, you know, really zealous and, and sort of alive, spiritually alive. And sometimes I feel really numb, but I just keep reading. I just keep going to church, you, do, uh, you know? What do you do? Like, yeah, right. So do you read through the Bible? Do you just pick and choose? How do you do it? Like practically I speaking? follow a plan because I, I generally read through the Bible in a year. I would say that that is yeah. my kind of fallback. I'm usually doing that. Like currently I'm actually not yeah. doing that, which is a bit exceptional for me. But whatever plan it is, I find that a plan is easier than just the pick and choose because right. if you if you go to the pick and choose method, and then you hit a season, a bumpy season, like you probably aren't going to have a lot of will to pick and choose. You don't know where to go. Um, right, right. You don't. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so you adjusted. And so again, writing was nowhere in your, like now you're in your, I don't know, thirties, I guess I'm just like, so like, yeah. were you even in the back of your mind sort of thinking like, I think I'm going to still be an author someday or it transitioned us from like motherhood to revival of this dream, perhaps this new path that you're on now. Mm -hmm. And how did that come about? You know, a funny thing, I think I came back from the Africa trip thinking, you know, maybe I'll try to write some articles. I don't even know why I thought that. I can't remember exactly what came into my mind, but I remember pitching today's Christian woman and getting, hmm. you know, like, oh, great. Well, you know, this pitch sounds really interesting. Write the article, sent the article. And they were like, no, actually, we don't like it. <laughs> and, <laughs> then, and then, you know, I had the had kids, you know, five, four and five. And um, I think, yeah, I, I identified the desire to write almost more in retrospect. When I look back at my life, I say, of course, this made absolute sense. Like here would be an example when I was in high school, I, a friend and I mentored a group of um, girls that were like two years younger than us, our senior year, their sophomore year. Well, when they graduated their senior year from high school, what did I do? Like I wrote like a devotional for them. I was like 20 oh, at wow. the time. So when I look back in retrospect, it totally makes sense. Like I would say to look at my life story, it looks like a writer in the making. But then well, you, you were writing today's, uh, today in the word too for Moody for a while. Yes, that started in 2004. Um, so I right. had just had um, Camille and I continued to do that through the twins um, being born and um, just one project a year. But it never really oh, felt I mean, anything like bigger right. than that. Right, right. 
Yeah. And then eventually, like moving to Toronto, the twins started preschool. The older kids, you know, were back in school. We, we had been homeschooling a little bit before that. And it just felt like I had a little bit more space. And you know what was really influential for me was Psalm 78. I actually was doing a project for Moody at the time. And Psalm 78 was kind of like the introductory psalm on the subject of fearing God, learning to fear God. How do we learn to fear God? And Israel, you know, in Psalm 78, it's like, here's how you learn to fear God, even though it doesn't really talk necessarily explicitly about the fear of God, but it's like, here's how you, here's how you know and trust God. Um, here's how you, he can be God in your life and you can acknowledge him as God. You got to keep, you got to keep remembering what he's mm. done. You got to keep yeah. track of, um, how he's been faithful to you. So when we moved to Toronto in 2011, I thought, I want to do that. I want to, I want to keep better track of what God's doing. And I need a little bit of accountability around that. And actually I need to grow in courage, you know, to just maybe write a little bit more publicly. And that's how my blog started and everything kind of just mm. kind of came after that. Yeah. So, you know, different people write about different topics and I found it intriguing to follow even like, tell us how the first, how do you think about what you want to write about? Like, do, are you a one book at a time? Where did you come up with the first teach us to want? I think was, um, of course a very, you know, successful book and it was your first book out. So was that your idea? Was it a small group talking? You realize there was a need to wrestling with desire. Like tell us a bit more about that road. Yeah. That book, um, is kind of a loose reflection on the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer had actually been a really important thing for me when I was doing evangelistic Bible studies and when I was doing neighborhood Bible studies. I wrote a curriculum using the Lord's Prayer. I just found a really easy way to kind of talk about faith and to find people, you know, even people who were sort of nominal to faith, like had some... Mm -hmm. um, understanding of the Lord's Prayer, at least like some familiarity with it. So I'd long been thinking about the Lord's Prayer. I realized that uh, I think just in thinking and studying about the Lord's Prayer is that it wasn't, it was teaching us to pray, but it was also teaching us to want, you know, it was teaching us to want the yeah. kind, the want the things that God wants. And, um, you know, wanting his kingdom to come, wanting reconciled relationships and forgiveness for our sins and, you know, moral reconciliation with God and all of these different things, like it shapes our desires. So teach us to want, I would say, A, came from that, you know, time of studying the Lord's Prayer, but B, it also came just really directly out of my life as a, as a mom and kind mm. of starting to struggle with naming this desire. Wow, I think I have the desire to write. Oh my gosh, I have five children. How is this? Is gonna work you yeah. know are they gonna like am I gonna stop like making dinner or what and you know kind of just yeah the tension of these two desires that felt like competing desires and wrestling mm -hmm. with that um and so the next book is um, Keeping Place, Reflections on the Meaning of Home, you know, and I think if the Teachers to One is a lot about this desire for to, to write, I think home also is, you know, been a huge part of my life, you know, I've been building yeah, a home, right. I've been building a build. Yeah. I've been building a home. Um, as we all are, I don't think you have to be married and with children to build a home. I think right. it's just, right. you know, that's been a very explicit theme of my life. Um, but again, keeping place is about expanding that vision beyond kind of the married and the people with children and the minivans. You don't have to have a minivan and live on a cul-de-sac to, you know, to have a home and then also to extend God's home in the world. I really think 
think that to think about God, um, to have a, a vision of God as as the great host could transform the way that we, the ways of being in the world, the ways that we're with our neighbors and the ways that we create mm-hmm. our church communities. Um, and when then you finished that book, had you yeah. already, that you were already thinking about the paradox book or was that like an after, you know, like me, like, do you plan ahead or is it already in your no, mind? What you're gonna it do? Was a, you know, no, it wasn't in my mind necessarily. I find that the books kind of naturally lead to the next one. And so Paradox, I think, like to look back at my first two books, I think that they're actually about paradox, you know, the paradox of desire in the first book, the both and of like both that we have to exercise an incredible amount of caution around desire. But there's also this great call because we're made in the image of a desiring God, you know, to think about home, like the now and the not yet, you know, and um And so I think that they're dealing with paradox. When I came to book number three, truthfully, I started, I came to it a little bit more thinking about mystery, thinking about um, maybe even third way. I don't know if you've kind of heard people use that language. It's not always a helpful term because sometimes people use it to maybe support things and advocate for things Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily advocate for, but um, and then the book that I'm writing now, truthfully, I had about five or six ideas and I was kind of chatting with my agent about it and I felt like I could go in a lot of different directions. Um, mm. so that, that's kind of a fun thing. I feel like I've got some, got some more ideas up my sleeve, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I, I can't wait to see what you're going to write on next. What, uh, who do you write for? Who's your audience? Um, you know, do you, should I say, who do I write for and who do I want to write for? Yeah, I mean, I think a, right now, yeah, yeah, I'm writing for people who are church, probably people who are fairly educated. You know, I don't claim to like write for everyone in all times and all places and, you know, but people who are church who have, you know, a, a certain degree of um, hunger to understand the scriptures and, um, you know, want to make sense of how the gospel impacts our everyday lives. But I wouldn't say that it's not like a, I'm not a practical how-to person. Anybody who kind of is a little bit more of a ruminator, you know, happy to sort of circle around ideas and think about things, mm-hmm. contemplative, you know, I think I think that my writing is probably appealing to those people who I want to write for is I'd like to be reaching people who are less, um, maybe more on the periphery of faith, maybe people who even actually would say they're on the other side of the door, you know, um, the door that's wide open, you know, that Jesus has opened by his own death and resurrection, the door into, you know, yeah, absolutely. Why do you think, um, there is a lot of, um, questions that are so like the deconstruction of faith of a couple of public figures recently like do you think christians just don't take time to think about what we believe and then what like what's happening now is that people are are uh, are overthinking or underthinking their faith you know Mm. what do you see happening my sense is i've thought about this a lot i think they're i guess if i had to go with one or the other i'd probably say underthinking um i think that they're right. like evangelicalism especially in the states has just kind of been an assumed kind of thing like in a lot especially in the different regions of the country you know if you're living in the bible belt or other places like it's not this sort of strange alien kind of thing so you don't have to necessarily think really hard about it to say i'm a christian i'm gonna go to church um 
But as soon as people start to ask maybe harder questions, sometimes people feel that like, oh, I don't really have a foundation. I haven't really thought about some of those things. And it, and it happens to be true. I just now I appreciate actually living in the context that I live in. 2011, we moved to Toronto. It's an incredibly secular context. Like there is nobody's assuming anything is true about Belt. Orthodox Christianity. No, it's definitely not the Bible Belt. And so it, it feels actually well, like you're, you know, you're, it's funny that you say that because you lived in Chicago, which I don't think of it as ultra Christian either per se as a city, but you even find Toronto to be more secular. Oh yeah. Incredibly. And, and I think it's pockets, right? It depends. Like I was in suburban Chicago. So yeah. I think that's probably different than if you're living downtown and you know, you're working, right. you know, uh, in right. a, yeah. Um, a large you know, like, corporate like law firm. In a secular locations, like there is a more natural questioning of things and conversation. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, so I think like Toronto, nothing is assumed, you know, nothing, it's not assumed that the Bible is true. It's not assumed that Jesus, nothing is assumed. And so you're actually, you're already on a kind of a defensive position. I hate to use that word because I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like we're kind of in like, but we are, I mean, the Bible does say that, you know, we're in a war. Um, I don't necessarily always gravitate to those metaphors, but if you're in a defensive position, you're automatically having to think about things that, um, like, I mean, truthfully, I've had to think about things. I've had to think harder about my faith since I've been here. You know, why, why do I believe in certain things? Why do I believe the Bible's true? Like, why do I really believe that? How am I going to explain, not just, you know, well, it, it, it's, it's changed my life, which is wonderful. And it has changed my life, but how, what am I going to say to that skeptic, you know, who's like, this is just a primitive book and it, um, you know, just advocates hatred and injustice and oppression against wisdom. And, um, like what, what, what answer do I have prepared, you know? And, and so when Paul talks about, you know, be ready to kind of give an answer for the hope that's within you, like, you know, I think that sometimes we can be in certain contexts where nobody's really asking because we've actually surrounded ourselves by a ton of Christians who think like us and act like us and go to church and they've, you know, they've been raised in families that are similar to ours. And so it's a challenge. You don't have to move to Toronto to think harder about your faith. But I would really encourage people like, here's a wonderful book that I'm reading right now. I'm really appreciating Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. You should interview her for your podcast because it's just a great book. And I think she's very well attuned to the questions that skeptics are asking. Even if you're not asking those questions, somebody in your life might be. And maybe someday you will be. And are you going to be prepared to like in that seat? Go ahead. Well, I mean, how much responsibility do you think, like you go to camp, you're 16, you're set in your ways, and God arrests you in a mm. really sort of, you know, there's a part of, I think, again, there's, therein lies a paradox, right? I mean, you know, especially the more your tradition, maybe I know your tradition is of the Reformed tradition, and uh, how much does it really matter what we say, how we live? 
Oh, that is the ult that is a paradox because I want it on the one hand, I just think it's a both and. I don't think it's an either or. Like either God's sovereign and we have no responsibility or, you know, responsible for everything and, you know, we have to wake up anxious every morning. Like I want to live, I want to live in and believing both that God is absolutely sovereign over everything that I don't have to worry about his kingdom coming and his will being done because he's absolutely committed to that, you know? And I want to live like he's actually invested me with this incredible invitation to participate with him. So I absolutely think like, I, I, I think, you know, God's put us in Toronto to, to proclaim the gospel. Right. And so I find like every day I'm asking for courage. I'm asking for opportunities and I, I'm not listless and sort of passive. Like, well, you know, if they come, they come. Yeah. Like, I do believe in God's sovereignty. He will orchestrate my days and choreograph my days so that I'm in conversation with the people I need to be in conversation with. I also think that I'm a human being with a certain degree of like choice. I don't know how it all works, but you know what? If I fill up my days and with a ton of Christian activities at my church and no margin in my days, like I'm not going to have time to talk to my neighbor. You know, there's a degree of intentionality that I have to exercise to be ready for the opportunities that he has, you know, to be spiritually prepared, right. to be praying for the people that I care about so that, so that my heart is already so softened toward them, like with such love and also with such eternal perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that's the thing, right? Is that, how do you, how do, you so do that? How do you ready yourself in the midst of the frenzy of life, family life, school yeah. life? You know, it really is like the consecrated, set a set apart time of prayer. Like one of the things mm -hmm. I'm doing now, and I'm not, I don't know if I'll be doing this in six months. And I, I like to give myself a little bit of flexibility on spiritual disciplines. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that, that you don't have to like yeah. be so incredibly legalistic about them. But what I'm doing now is I'm actually writing out my prayers and I have different days of the week that I'm praying for different kind people in my life. You and, um, so I write, I actually write with a pen and paper and I have a planner and they, it's nicely divided. And so like when I get to Friday and I turn the page to Friday, I can even tell you, I even like white out if I like, I don't, that's funny. Yeah, if I make a mistake, I'm like whiting out over it. Like, talk yeah. about seriously. As like you can something. tell. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's but, yeah. You know, when I get to Friday, I know, I know who I'm praying for. I'm playing and I'm not going to name their names in case they listen to it. Well, I should. Okay. I'm praying right. for Olivia. I'm praying right. for Lindsay. I'm praying for Leah. I'm praying for Olga. I'm praying for Ruben. I'm actually, I'm praying, always praying for all of my neighbors on my street. And, um, the cool thing is, now here's a cool story. I'll just try to tell it really quickly. As I'm praying for my friend, Olivia, she actually happens to be married to a Christian who was not walking with the Lord when they got married. And now he's come back to the Lord and he's so, um, just desperate to see his wife come to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he's so thankful that she has a Christian friend. This all happened very independently. I obviously knew her before I knew him. And, wow. um, it just so happens as I've been praying for her, praying for him too, that he'll have the wisdom to know how to love her and share, proclaim the gospel to her in ways that make sense and don't feel like, you know, onerous and overbearing. It just, it just so happens. I ran into him at church on Sunday. He came to visit our church and wow. it, the, it's a very long story to basically say, there's no way I would have run into him because normally I really run out of the service. Cause my kids are like 
pulling me out of the service. I usually go out of a different door. Like the timing was exceptional. I went out of a different door. You know how it is. And here God has me run smack dab into him. And my heart is already ready to talk to him because I've been so, I've been more deliberate about praying for his wife and his Mm -hmm. family. So I find that that the morning time, setting aside time to read and to pray is critical for me. I don't think it has to be in the morning for everybody. I think you could do it at night if you're a night person. You could do it in the middle of the day if you want to. But at some point in your day, you're going to have to pull yourself away from your Twitter feed (laughs) and get quiet with God. Right. You talk a lot about calling in your books and in different writings and such. Why is there such a tension where, you know, we talk about, you know, this, why is it so hard to do the things that you want to do for God? Do you know what I mean? And, and uh, I don't mean hard as in the task yeah. is difficult, but it's like the way doesn't seem to be so open as clearly as you would expect it to be when, when in your soul, yeah. you know, God has wired you to do something. And so, you know, I know a while back you posted something that was an author who was leaving writing because it was becoming so hard and, and you had a rebuttal to that. Mm. that was excellent. But, but in general, like, why, why is there so much tension? Is it because it matters so much? I want to say that we need a lot of humbling. Mm. I, I, I've just found that in my own life that, I mean, God uses the humble. Mm. I don't think God uses the, the incredibly talented. I don't think that God uses, you know, the highly influential. I mean, sometimes he does. Sure. He can use yeah. those people too. But you know what? God wants somebody who's like, so he wants people who are dependent on him. Mm. Like, because this is king, kingdom work is like invisible work. It's all happening, mm. but in, in a realm that we cannot see God's working in ways that we just can't even see. And so we're, we're absolutely 100% reliable, um, reliant upon him and dependent upon him. And so I think sometimes he has to just take us, like, I think the road to calling sometimes is fraught with obstacles because we have to be shorn of our self-confidence, right. you know, like we have to, like, we have to, to some things have to be sloughed off. You know, why did Moses, you know, why was he 80 by the time, you know, God called him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Well, I think there were some things to learn along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's the way I don't, you know, God can call people in their, tw- in their twenties, you know, and, and when they're 16 and I think God was using me actually when I was in high school, I was so um, just, very, I don't know, open about my faith, constantly sharing my faith. I think God was using me. I think God was using me in my 20s and my 30s. I think there's way more humility to be learned. I certainly don't want to say like, well, now God's using me because I'm, I've got all the humility that I need and I've learned to be right. reliant right. upon him. Right. But I think, I think that that's a huge part of it. Um, I, because there's a, the paradox of calling is that there's, there's a humility, a degree of humility that we need, but also a degree of like confidence, you know, that wait, yeah. hold on. God's actually equipped me. He's given me like my particular life ha- has shaped me in such a way that I'm readied now to do this work, you know, that he's prepared in advance for me to do. And mm-hmm. so there's a tenacity and a confidence, like a kind of a strange confidence that we need in calling to. Um, and it's just, it's a huge tension. I think you're right. I find another paradox in that is this two sides of the coin of surrendering your dreams to God, but pursuing your dreams and like finding that yes. right balance and 
you know, not feeling like, yeah, it's hard, huh? It's so hard. You know, I, I think that I'm kind of the kind of person, I think you probably are more tenacious than me. I'm the kind of person, like I meet like a whiff of an obstacle. I'm like, Oh, that seems hard. I'll just not do that. You know, (laughs) I, I, I really, you know, it's hard. Like even think about writing, like writing a book is easy, you know, actually getting people to buy it and read it is really hard. And so like, I don't know, I find that hard. I find that God, I don't know exactly how to do that. Like kind of put myself out there and talk about the book and, oh, it's just, it feels hard. Yeah. And there's a sense where I I guess. Yeah. And, and not feeling like, and I think that applies to other areas, like whatever your listener, you know, whoever's listening right now, like it might not be writing for you, but like this part where, well, I've done my part and like, why doesn't God, and it's just, it's a constant dependence and, and sort of this yes. engaging of, you know, what's really important and what's not. And does it, you know, matter so much if, I mean, our end point is, well, if so many people buy a book, then I'll get another book deal, but really God doesn't need anything to, you know, and all of this sort of mental yes. battle that happens. Let me ask you practically, how do you teach people to read books when they're used to reading tweets? Oh. <laughs> uh, I, okay. This is a point of despair for me. I was at a workshop at recently and this guy was like, I don't need to read NT Wright's latest book. I'll just find a podcast, you know? And I was like, yeah. Oh shoot. That's the bo- books are, you know, doomed. I, I don't know, except that I guess in our church communities, creating um, like spaces where conversation can happen around books. And I think people can get turned on to the idea like of a long form conversation, long form um, media, like how much, how, how rich it is, you know, to be involved. Like, you know, you could do surprise by paradox. You could do it in five weeks or Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, four weeks with the group. And I think those, um, but there's so many books like that. And just to gather around, a book in conversation in community, I think could prove, you know, could, could maybe convince a few people that there's something worthwhile in books. Yeah. Who are the authors that have shaped you the most favorite book maybe? Oh, I mean, the first thing that came to mind when you said that is a long obedience in the same direction by Mm -hmm. Eugene Peterson. I think as far as spiritual writing, Eugene Peterson Mm -hmm. is just, um, he was a man um, who was so dedicated to the scriptures, you know, but who also was not afraid to see the hard and surprising things in them and to talk. Um, yeah, I think, you know, and, and really to wa- I think he presented a life that wasn't just about knowing information about God, but knowing God and walking with God. Right. So for sure him, you know, I do love N.T. Wright. I, I haven't read like I've read about 80 pages of his academic work. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> smart enough for that. Um, but I like his popular stuff. Um, I read a lot of non-Christians though. Well, you know, I find that very well read, um, and my observation in general, I mean, just from following you on social media over time, how do you find time? Are you a systematic reader? Like you put three books by your bedside, you read so many pages a day or, or, how do you do it? I'm trying to be more systematic. Like I do have a list going, like these are the books that I'm reading. And then I actually like, it's in my planner and I look at it every week, like every day, every week. And I be so that I don't jump around yeah. because I find it really easy to be like, oh, I forgot what book I was reading. Cause I got involved in this article, you know, it's, it's the short form versus the long form. And I really do want to prize the long form. So I keep a list. 
Um, I don't watch TV. Um, the currently the only TV that I'm watching is a cooking show with my twins, which we love. And we, oh my gosh! And they're away this week with friends, and so we're like on this cliffhanger in the cooking show. Which is gonna win? well, it's, I was like, it's on Canadian Netflix. Wow. I don't know if you guys have it. It's like the fan. It's like a family cooking show. Um, it's a British one. So you haven't watched. Yeah. Oh, we love it. Stranger Things or The Office. None of that. Oh, stuff. well, I've watched Stranger Things, but like, oh, I wanted to watch. You're, you're selected. I've heard about that. You're selected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Anyways, it's probably good that we have limited offerings, but yeah, I don't watch a lot of TV and I've been trying to like be disciplined, like stick a book in my bag so that whenever I have, I have a lot of like moments where I'm waiting on my kids, you know, waiting in the car, waiting for them to come out, like read instead of look at my phone. Um, But I read, I read at night too. Who's the voice in your head? Who is the voice? Yeah. Like the, you know, that we all have a voice in our head that motivates us to do or not or you know like that I, my mom is the voice in my head you know what I mean like that voice in your head that, oh, um, gosh I could just speak to like how valuable spiritual direction has been for me mm-hmm. in the last four years because I think previous to that the voice in my head which I thought was the voice of God was the voice that was like do more do better you know just do more do better like everything was imperfect and everything was insufficient. And now um, through spiritual direction, I feel like I can hear the voice of God saying to me, um, like maybe do less. Right. Um, How do you find it? Not necessarily like, you know, I found mine through, um, I actually went to stay at, she and her husband own and run a retreat center. So I met her in person and now we do it over Skype. You could probably ask around in your church community. Chances are your pastor might know. Um, you could put it out on Facebook. Like there, there are more spiritual directors than you think, but there are a lot of spiritual directors who offer spiritual direction over Skype. That's just been really huge for me because now, like even the voice in my head now says, um, you know, it's okay. You're just learning. It's okay. It's okay. You learn, you know, you failed at that, <laughs> you know, and just such an incredible I'm an incurable critic, mm. self-critic. And now, and I think I always thought God was so critical of me too, which is so sad because that's what an impoverished view of the gospel. But now I hear God saying things like, it's okay. Like you're, you're learning. Like it's not an, it's okay. And don't try harder, you know, and just revel in all of your, you know, ineptitude mm. and sinfulness. It's not, it's okay. In that way, it's, it's okay. You're human. Like, and the righteous person falls seven times mm. and gets back up, right. you know, and that's the invitation I hear in my head now. That's awesome. Uh, last question. What is a day you would live over again? If you could, there's with parenting, there's just so many, there's just so many, but one I can think of, I think, our oldest, she's leaving for university. Um, and that comes with its trials and challenges, right? Like she's ready to stretch her wings a little yeah. bit. And I can remember a day in the spring where um, she'd actually taken the train to Montreal for her audition for the program. Ryan and I could not drive her, of the, just the timing of it. She came back and she had a big bag and she had a backpack and she called me from the train station downtown at like 4:30 in the afternoon. I live in I live in the city but I don't live downtown and to get downtown at 4:30 I was just and to manage my other four kids and whatever else we had going on like there was no way I could go pick her up. And she was tired and hungry, but I didn't understand any of that and she was just like come and pick me up, you know? Yeah. And I was like 
I will, you cannot talk to me that way, you know? And, and, and you know what I did, Lena, I hung up on her mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like she was listening. I didn't feel like I could get through. And you know what I would have done differently is I would have tried to understand what was behind like that anger. Mm-hmm. I would have said, I would have maybe put myself in her position. I would have tried to think of myself downtown with, mm-hmm. with a suitcase and a backpack. And I, I would have remembered the text that she sent me that, that the, I don't know, for some reason she couldn't get food on the train, but I just reacted. And I felt like, I kind of felt really righteous in doing it too. Like she will not talk to me that way. And I hung up on her mm-hmm. and I was, and it was just, it was a hurtful thing to do. And I think what, and, and I, why I would do it, it's just a small thing, but if I could do all this differently in my parenting, it would be that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, harp so much on self-reliance. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes, I'm teaching my children. We're teaching our children to like exist without us and be out on their own. But you know what? Nobody's actually entirely self-reliant. We're all in communities. Of the family is the is a microcosm of what the church is meant mm-hmm. to be. And so that when you have a hard time, you're meant to be calling somebody and saying, you know what? It's just been a long day. Could you help me? Mm. And, you know, maybe you can't. Maybe you can't. But, you know, you don't have to hang up on your friend. <laughs> and you don't have to hang up on your daughter, right. you know, even when she maybe doesn't say it right. So that's a day, I guess, in recent memory, I'd live over. Yeah. It's funny. I, um, isn't it funny how humans are? I meant to ask, what's the best day that you would live over and how our brain goes to the challenges. Isn't that interesting? I just found that to be so good. I I find, first of all, your honesty is, is, is touching and admirable. And I I think you'll find if you're listening uh, right now, the same sort of thing in, in your books, it's so disarming, like in the middle of a chapter on God, you throw in a story of life that just makes you human. And I just love that. But what is a day I want, I do want to finish on a positive note, happiest day that you would live over, do a do over because, because it's so good. And I always thought you're stumped because you've got five kids and a husband. I mean, how are you going to choose? But is there any like, like bright memory that, that you'd like to end with here before we go to how to connect with you and and what we have um, to wrap things up? Mm. Oh, I, okay. It's just going to be in recent memory too. And it's just an ordinary day. And I actually um, feel like I could just cry thinking about it. I had picked up my daughter from camp and um, I just felt so full of God's um, love and grace. Like we had been, this is our younger daughter, Camille, and I was picking her up at camp and we were just, um, she'd been there for three weeks, this Christian camp, uh, Honey Rock, if anybody's listening, mm-hmm. um, it's wonderful, send your kids there. And it was just so clear that God had met her. He'd worked through her counselors, like just that so many prayers had been answered. And I remember getting in the car and I, my sister-in-law and I went together and we went with the twins and we were picking up her daughter too and her son. And it was just this, like, it was an ordinary day, but I just felt so full of like these, these blessings Mm -hmm. that are just, they might seem very small, but like, they're just such evidence of God's goodness to me. The fact that like, I have a sister-in-law that I love Mm -hmm. that we were, um, that we have our children love each other. These cousin relationships are so special that I have flexibility in my summer to like drive all over the U S you know, to pick up my kids and, and that my daughter had met Jesus at the at camp and that her counselors were just so godly and walking with God. And it was just, it was an ordinary day, but it was a day where I was like, I was seeing, you know, those days where you're like, like, you're actually yeah. you're present, yeah. like you're seeing That's awesome. it. 
And then you're like, God, you're so well, good. Well, we aim for the stars, and yet God meets us in these ordinary moments. I, I just think it's so true, and it's um, that's awesome. I love you. I love Camille. I remember her so much from those early days. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, where is yes. that camp, by the way? That's in um, Northwoods, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, best state in the world. Oh, I know. Anyway, listen, Jen, how, uh, I want to, well, first, first of all, uh, I want to give away some copies of your book. I, I want to do the Paradox book. I keep calling it the Paradox book. Surprised by Paradox. Uh, let's give out three copies, listeners, who just go ahead and email me at lena at livingwithpower.org. We're going to send out three books. First three people to email. Uh, Jen, how can people reach you? You have an amazing newsletter. Tell them a little bit about ways to connect with you. Yeah, subscribe to my newsletter because that I do actually like really think of it as a letter to my readers and I put a lot into it, talk a lot about my family and just what I'm learning and in, in my walk with God. So you can just find it on my website. I think if you go to jenpollockmichelle.com, it'll pop up and you can subscribe. Um, you know, I do occasionally blog. You can subscribe to my blog too. I'm currently doing a series with another writer and we're talking about with Sean Smucker, we're doing a series on creative work and family life. Yeah. And so we're posting on Fridays. You can find that. Um, but yeah, and Twitter is kind of the most reliable way to find me on social media. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not active right. in many other places. It is probably a fortunate thing and why you've been able to produce so much uh, heady content and for which we're very grateful. So thank you so much for being here. Don't worry about spelling her name. We're going to have all of the information for you guys. Um, hey, Jen, thank you so much for your time. I know this is a crazy time of year for you. Back to school soon is when we're recording. I just can't believe you gave us an hour. So thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Lena, thank you so much. It was so yeah. fun. Hey, listeners, it's great to have spent the hour with you. Uh, if you have comments, if you want to connect with Jen and can't remember her info, send me an email. If you need resources, ways to grow in the faith, go to livingwithpower.org. Remember to fix your eyes on Jesus and we'll catch each other back up next week. 